Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 37, finals edition with Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, there were nine teams when a ball was kicked earlier this year, only two remain. It is San Diego and Seattle at Torero Stadium this Sunday. And as always, I'm joined by the uh, charismatic, enigmatic, the one, the only, Pete Steinberg. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate that um, rather overwhelming introduction. And hello from London. I am yet again on the road. Um, I am at the uh, Marriott Hotel in um, Marble Arch, hoping that this uh, Wi-Fi will hold up for the podcast. So far, so good, big fella. Well, it was a huge weekend, wasn't it? We had four teams playing for two spots, and uh, you were down in San Diego. I was up in Seattle. But before we get into the reviews from the weekend, travel tip time. And, well, I don't think I've got a tip, Pete. I just have uh, a story. What do you think? Okay, okay, go for it. So as most of you are aware, we had a Facebook Live event planned for Saturday in Seattle that was uh, – published and marketed by Major League Rugby, which involved me flying out of Denver on a Friday to get there early enough to be there Saturday to do the show and then obviously Sunday for the game. Well, even the best laid plans don't sometimes agree with Mother Nature. So Friday night, there was an electrical storm that pushed through Denver that stopped all flights coming into Denver. So my plane was rerouted, and by the time it finally got here, the crew were unable to fly because they'd been on the plane too long. I'm sure you've experienced that before as a frequent flyer. I have. And uh, the the flight after that was then sold out. So I said, well, I need to get to Seattle. What can we do? Well, sir, we can fly you through San Francisco. That's fine. Let's do it. We land in San Francisco. I have a 45-minute turnaround to get on to my other flight from San Fran to Seattle, and there was no jet bridge crew at San Fran. So we sat on the tarmac for 45 minutes while I watched my connecting flight two gates away, taxi out, and fly to Seattle. So I got an impromptu visit to San Francisco Friday night, and we canceled the show. But luckily, Mark Stavina and Stacey Pates uh, flew the flag down in San Diego, and all's well ends well. So travel tip. Uh, don't be me. There you go. <laughs> well, um, Dan, I, I don't know if you were able to do this, but here is a travel tip for the next time you find yourself in a situation, whether it's um, in any time when it's whether it's crew or technical or anything like that. And, and I think not having the gate crew would be one of these examples. Um, the airline is responsible for getting you to your final destination. They will not tell you this, but if you ask, they are required to put you on another airline. So I don't know if there's a later flight for you, Dan, but it would be possible potentially to get on an American or an Alaska flight from San Francisco up to Seattle, but the airline will only do it if you make that request. Well, you got me a hotel room. So at that point, I was pretty beat. And I said, well, there's actually one last part to the story. I didn't check in on my new flight Saturday morning. So when I got there to, to board, I thought I'd already checked in. They didn't check me in the night before when they changed me and they actually gave my seat away. And uh, they went on, removed the gentleman from my seat and let me come in, much to uh, the dismay of the passengers on the plane who were giving me that filthy look of like, who? You're that ass. You're that a-hole. 
Almost said it. You're that a-hole. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Absolutely. But I well, made it, and we had two fantastic games on Sunday. So let's jump into the important stuff, which is rugby. You're in San Diego and uh, another candidate for game of the year. What a game down there. New York and San Diego slugging it out literally for 80 minutes as the game was decided at the very end by the Iceman, Joe Peterson, who slots one from the sideline. What a kick and what a game, Pete. Yeah, I mean, it, this was a great game to call. Um, you know, I, 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 my heart goes out to um, Rugby United New York. Um, I, think, I think they were probably the, the better team. Um, their defense was absolutely phenomenal. I thought, you know, it was it was interesting because we talked a lot um, before the game. We talked last week about how New York likes to play very physical forwards, and but San Diego also had really physical forwards, and you know, we thought that might be um, sort of even. But actually, New York's forwards pressured the San Diego scrum. They physically dominated them in the open. And um, they got a couple of tries off line-out drives. It was a really, really great performance by the forwards. And this is a team that lost Ross Deacon, who I think is one of the glue players in the first half, um, lost John Quill um, at halftime. Um, and so those are two of the really, really critical players. But the guys that came in, um, uh, James Denise and um, Alex McDonald, did an amazing job and, you know, I think uh, San Diego can, can, can consider themselves quite lucky to have got away with that win. Yeah, I agree. We watched the game up in uh, Seattle. We had it on the truck, so no volume, unfortunately. But um, it really felt as though San Diego did a good job of controlling the ball and controlling territory, but New York did a better job of taking uh, advantage of their you know their opportunities and. I thought when James Denise scored that try off that Ben Foden, Gary Owen, that it was all she wrote. But never, you never write out a champion team and the Legion do it. And they score. As they're, as they're pushing the ball down that way, Pete, I said, you watch this. They're going to score in the corner, kick to win it. He'll miss it. We're in the extra time. And uh, <laughs> I was, Dan, I have to tell you, I was frantically going through my notes trying to remember what the extra time protocols were. Um, but, you know, I think it was a really interesting game. Um, you know, uh, San Diego have had a couple of issues this year, and one of the big ones has been penalties. They're, they're the most penalized team in the league, and they gave up eight penalties in the first half. And for the first try, it was just a series of penalties. Like, actually, neither team were able to do much to be able to get through the line. Um, hey, uh, um, Dan... That it's might the, be my food. Hold on. It's, it's Hold on. the queen. It's the queen. Hold on. While he's gone, yeah. uh, let's just look at the scores for yeah. the tipping for the year. It's Dan on 55, Pete on 50. Okay. So a five-game victory for me. And uh, I'm sure he's going to argue I that on all the social much. platforms when he comes back from his phone. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm on a call, so if you can just put it on. Oh. And now we're going to do yeah, a giveaway. Uh, what's Pete yeah. eating for dinner? Let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm right back. I'm right oh, back, and Sorry oh. about that. Um, we, weren't, we weren't talking about you while you're gone. We're oh, okay. Okay. So uh, chicken tikka masala, just so you know. Oh, um, that's, that's, that was uh, – yeah, that was one of the favorite choices from the fans as well. Okay. Good, so good choice. <laughs> So, so I was. I think. I think I was talking about the penalties, and it's been a problem. And New York has the perfect team to deal with that with their lineout drive, and two 
um, neither team was able to generate um, many uh, um, uh, much uh, um, much ground. Like you know, uh, it was really physical going. They weren't able to break through New York. weren't able to break through the uh, um, San Diego Legion um, defense. But what they were able to do is they were patient enough. The Legion eventually gave away a penalty, and so that's where they two tries in the first half came from. And then, as you said, in the second half, New York realized um, they were they had the wind at their back, they had the sun in the eyes of San Diego, and they said, we don't need the ball. We'll just put pressure on them. And there were a couple of kicks that were lost and, and you know, the uh, the difficulties that uh, um, I think it was Nate Osberger had with that kick from Ben Foden and who then recovered it and then um, passed it to Denise was really something that was that was just coming. And, um, you know, I thought New York played a much better tactical game than San Diego did, which is surprising because San Diego tactically generally has been like, you know, it's been, that's been their key. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting, uh, interesting finish to the game as well, because I really thought New York had a chance to lock that up. And just, like I said, that champion side, San Diego took the most opportunity. I think a couple of missed kicks from Carl Marsh, uh, off the tee where Peterson again just clinical there but it's and, and it was the bounce of the and, and it was the bounce of the ball at the end literally the ball bounced right so Manny Hara got the ball tried to get it over the top it hit the ground it could have bounced anywhere and it happened to bounce into JP Duplessis hands and that get him got him over the line and just, I just want to give you an, an example of sort of how hard the going was for um New York against the San Diego defense like they're they, they had 400 meters, just over 400 meters of ball carry. Um, San Diego had 800. Neither of those are very high numbers. Ben Foden had the most with 89 meters. And then after that, Chris Martina had 47. So you can see it was a real struggle. Um, and I think they had one line break in the whole game. So it was such a struggle for New York against that San Diego defense. But they played so well tactically. That's what gave them the chance to win. Yeah, just looking at those stats, that's incredible, isn't it? You know, we, we've seen San Diego too with the ability to put on points, but it's their defense that gets it done for them. It really is. I mean, and I thought that, like, I think if I'm um, Rob Hoadley, I'm concerned about the ability for us to generate, or for, sorry, for um, San Diego to generate points. I, I would be concerned about that. Like, I think that that's, um, that's a challenge. Um, you know, and I thought, New York really rattled San Diego. They really struggled. Like I thought Paddy Ryan was rattled. I thought um, Josh Ferno really struggled in that first half. He was giving away a lot of penalties. Um, and, you know, I think the, um, you know, you didn't see much of Sam Wuching. Like all these players, uh, um, yeah, uh, Jasavera Malua, I mean, it was like he wasn't even on the field. Like New York just neutralized so much of what San Diego does. It was really interesting. And San Diego struggled under that pressure. Well, we knew they were going to come into the game with a chip on their shoulder. There was a little bit of uh, shot-taking on social media at you and I during the week for both uh, picking San Diego in that game. And, again, I think we talked about in the lead-up, that's kind of the New York attitude, right? They get through the year and all of a sudden come finals time, they're a different side. And they showed it on Sunday. Bounce of a ball stops them from going to the championship from fourth place. But, you know, nothing really in their, you know, their debut season to be too disappointed in. I think they make some tweaks to the roster. We saw today 
that Matthew Vassereau is is pen to paper, and there was uh, the rumor that Francois Lowe he's in town, and Francois had kind of skated around in the USA in 2016 looking for a home post career. So this is you know three years removed now from that, and he's probably getting a little closer. So I think New York bounced back next year. You and I both thought they were going to make the final. They went through some injury troubles in the middle of the year that probably didn't help them a lot. But I think James Kennedy, you know, uh, James English as well, they get that team fired up for 2020. And it's going to be a little easier on the travel for them next year as well with the the conference system splitting the the coast east to west. So they'll yeah, bounce back. I, I think they will. I think they will. But I'm I'm not done like thinking about this game. I'm not. I'm not like I want to look. You know, I'm. I'm um, let's let's dive into some of the stats of these players. Like I said, that I thought Paddy Ryan and Josh Ferno like didn't react very well. Well, Paddy Ryan had three penalties called against him. Josh Ferno had four four penalties called against him. Um, like look at the handling errors: uh, two, four, six, seven, ten, eleven handling errors by um, by San Diego because of the pressure that they felt from from New York. Um, uh, you know, I thought that it was, um, you know, it, when your scrum half, Nate Osberger, is your leading tackler, um, that tells you that um, there's a lot of uh, effort that's happening. Your scrum half isn't normally your your um, first up tackler. There's a lot of tackle assist going in there. You know, it was just you, you look at these stats and you say, yeah, this is, uh, um, this is a New York team that really, really played well and just, you know, a shout out to, um, you know, Nate Brakeley, 20 tackles, um, uh, Matt Houston, uh, 21 tackles. I thought I thought it was interesting. I mean, I, I I felt like both teams were trying to play the same way. And I think if they'd moved it wider a little bit earlier, if they're trying to go through the middle, the game would have been a little bit more open. So it was definitely a very physical game. Um there were a lot of turnovers. There were a lot of penalties. So the quality of the game wasn't high, but the intensity was just awesome. Yep. It was a good performance from both sides. Got to give James Denise some love as well. The godfather, the Baron of Bayonne, who comes out there with, uh, you know, about 48 kilograms of cotton stuffed up one of his nostrils to stop the bleeding and scores that try. And at the start of the year, James Denise was just nowhere. Not even on right. the radar. And next he comes out and he's just one of the key contributors to that forward pack and continues into the final. So not sure if JD and, and Mike Petri will be back next year. You've got Luke Hume. We saw him leave the field with a, a knee injury. So it could be a, a little bit of changing of the guards in New York as well. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll dive into that in the offseason. Let's move up the coast now, Pete. It's Seattle and Toronto. And uh, Seattle end up running away with it, thirty to seventeen, and all the damage was done in the opening forty minutes for the SeaWolves as they had a pretty commanding lead going into the break, and they booked their ticket to return to the championship, a chance to defend their crown on Sunday. So, Dan, I have a question about this game. Yeah, I mean, you were there, you made the call. Was this game ever in doubt for the SeaWolves? Yeah, in the second half, you know, I, I mentioned at the break that. A few weeks ago, Utah really gave sides a, a great way to frustrate the Seawolves, and that's to not even focus about the possession of the game. It's to play territory and play all your rugby in Seattle's end. And to do that, you need a really good kicking game and a great kick chase because you know how dangerous that back three for Seattle can be. And we saw that again. Matt Turner had another great game and was heavily involved. 
But when Toronto started playing territory, kicking to corners, concentrating on the little things, they turned it around and ended up controlling territory and possession. You go easy on the cutlery there, big fella. You're about to bust my eardrums too. Sorry but about that. The possession and territory heavily favoured Toronto in the end of the game. So there were some opportunities. There was a no-try called against uh, Toronto that came back for a throw not going five metres. And I think that kind of evaporated any chance of a comeback. And then the penalty try for Seattle kind of wrapped it up. But midway through the second half, things you know could have gone either way there. Seattle were kind of running out of steam. They made that hockey-like you know change where an entire you know front row went off and some forwards. And I think there was four or five players that changed at the same time. And, and not sure in that game if it was the right call. I'm not sure either how Samu and uh, Api Nakatini, who are just unbelievable in the opening part of that game, uh, just destroying poor Sam Malcolm. I got a chance to to meet Sam after the game. He's not a big guy at all, but great, great dude and uh, awesome player for the for the Arrows. But man, I, I had to give him a give him a pretty big rap to get up from some of those tackles because. You know, Arpi and Samu are big, big human beings, and they hit with bad intentions as well. So, yeah, that sort of took a little wind out of the sails for the Seawolves. Sorry to be dragging on a little here, but that's kind of uh, how I saw it. There was a window of about 10, 15 minutes where Toronto had a chance to get back into it. Well, you know, I thought what was really interesting in the first half, and I was in a bar for the uh, first half of the game and then was at the airport for the second half of the game, so I wasn't fully focused. So I went back and watched it again. Um, what to me that was really interesting was um, Toronto looked kind of like rusty in the first half. I mean, in the game, they had 17 handling errors. And if you looked at the opportunities, like the first three points that um, Toronto, uh, um, that, that Seattle had came off a turnover, right? Which, is, which led to Brock Stoller's kick, which is the great chase by Matt Turner. And they dragged them. Um, the second... Uh, try came from um, actually the second try came from a really great kick by Ben Seema right um, but I think that even came from a turnover I want to say it came from a turnover that there were just too many lost balls so what's so interesting is there were so many handling errors but there were only I think 12 scrums in the game so Scott Green did a great job of um, playing uh, um, uh, advantage but Seattle also did a great job of taking those handling errors by Seattle and turning them into advantage. So that's why, even though um, Toronto had, you know, the edge in possession and the edge in territory, Seattle were able in that first half to just live off the mistakes of Toronto. And that's what put them, I think it was like 22 or 23 down, right, before Seattle scored right at the end of the um, end of the first half. Yeah, Toronto got a late try there at the first half. Yeah, so yeah. Toronto got a late try. Yeah, now, um, jet lag's yeah. kicking in. So, yeah. so, so I think that that you know, and and you know, Ben Seymour probably had the best half of rugby he's had this year. And then once he got into the second half, when when you know the pressure began to get on, and Toronto started to put some pressure on him, wasn't quite as good. And, and I think Richie Walker may have um, you know brought Phil Mack on a little bit late. Uh, but you can't argue with it, right? You know I mean, you know, they came away um, a winner. But I thought Ben Seymour in the first half was absolutely outstanding. Yeah, that was the best 40 minutes of rugby I've seen him play this year. And uh, picked a great game to really 
take the bull by the horns and and, and lead. But it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one, mate. Let's let's dig into the game this weekend because really it's it's one versus two on the standings and. Looking back on the year, the two most consistent sides have made it to the championship game. Let's start with San Diego. Where's the cornerstone in which they will win the championship on Sunday, mate? So I think San Diego have a um, an approach to winning. We saw it against Nola. We saw it against New York, although it didn't work so well against New York, which is basically playing the right parts of the field which means having a very good kicking game. Um, and then uh, use your defense to create turnover opportunities. And that should work well against a Seattle team that likes to run the ball back as long as San Diego are able to build that kick chase. So I think that's going to be a very interesting challenge for um, for Seattle on how they counter that. But I think they're going to look to play territory play in the um, opposition half, and then um, use their defensive pressure to create opportunities. Yeah. Seattle, where are you seeing that one for them? So the interesting thing for me about San Diego is that San Diego, San Diego scrum the last two weeks has been under pressure, and I think there's a real opportunity. So just like um, the, uh, um, the penalties were an Achilles heel, um, this this past week for San Diego, I think the scrum will be, and that's a place where um, uh, Seattle have, you know, I think can have the advantage. And what I would look for them to do is I would look for them, and New York did this too, San, um, San Diego have great line speed. So they get off the back foot really quickly. They get up in defense's faces. The way you take that away ta- tactically is you, is you basically change direction a lot. So I think that what we're going to see is we're going to see a lot of, sort of big forwards coming into the middle, trying to set a platform, and then trying to hit sort of Matt Turner coming to the blind side, um, maybe with um, uh, um, a Brad Tucker or a Nakoi Penny um, in support, trying to look to open up that that blind side. Um, I think uh, Seattle don't have as good a kicking game, um, but they're more disciplined. And the line-out is going to be a really, really interesting place i think the um seattle may have the um edge in the line out and if they do that could be an edge that gives them the win yeah it's going to be interesting it's a number one attacking side in seattle versus a number one defensive side in san diego so really a perfect stylistic matchup here between both these sides it's really hard to actually try to process this game and where it could go because a lot of it's going to hinge on the teams they pick for Sunday and then that opening 10 minutes is going to give you a good indication of where both these sides sit because I'm looking at some of the statistics coming into it and for every statistic that favours one side, it's counterbalanced by a statistic that favours the other <laughs> in that same category. So it's, it's, you couldn't have asked for a better final for Major League Rugby because it really is tough to to pick. And the only people who are going to have an easy time picking this weekend are going to be the fans of both these sides who want their team to win. And that's kind of that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good. So, so one of the interesting areas for me is going to be this back row because both teams have really, really strong back rows, right? So, um, you know, uh, Sam Wuching and Yasser Vermalua um, are really good flankers. 
and they're going up with potentially, and this is the thing about both of these teams, you know, Devin Short, maybe he's been injured. Does he come back in? Um, he's a he's a little bit more experienced, um, even though he's a young guy, than for maybe both of those guys in the back row. And I think that might help. I think that um, uh, um, Vera Malua and Sam Wuching are better athletes, but I'm not sure that they're better back row forwards. Um, and they're carrying up with probably up against um, Penny and either um, uh, um, Samu Manoa, or it could be Penny and Tucker. Um, and so I think Seattle have a little bit of an experience advantage in that back row. And that'll be, I think that'll be telling. Um, and then, of course, we've got Vili. Do you bring Vili in? Um, how did he play in the game, Dan? Um, this is his first game back from um, his serious ankle injury. It's been a couple, It's been a few months. Um, how did he look? He looked good. And uh, I talked to him afterwards and said, you know, it's great, obviously, great to see you back. And that typical energy brings to the game was definitely there. Uh, he said, you know, it's uh, it was good. He's been working very hard. But the thing that always gets players when they come back from a long layoff, Pete, it's that adrenaline dump, right? You're so excited to be back on the field, excited to play. You're bouncing around the field. Five minutes in, all of a sudden you're like, my legs are shot, my lungs are shot, (laughs) done. And, um, you know, he looked good, though. I I think you pick him just because he does bring the experience of last year and he brings some enthusiasm into the game when he comes on, very similar to what Eric Duchel does as well. You see Eric. You start him? Or do you bring him off the bench? I bring him off the bench. I, I I think that opening 20 minutes is going to be probably the best 20 minutes of rugby we've seen this year because both these sides play, you know, they both want to play. And that's right. that's a big part of making. Sometimes we talked about, you know, this year, and, and it was a rough year for Austin, but we talked about them dragging good teams into a bad game where both these sides seem to have the opposite effect. They can make, you know, middle kind of ro- middle of the road sides play at a much higher level to kind of keep up with them. So yeah. it's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty fire in that opening exchange. So I would keep them on the bench. I, I wouldn't make too many changes to be honest with you, Pete. I'm looking at the side from the weekend, unless there's injuries, I kind of like what they did there. I like Samu and Api starting because they're both big physical guys and that opening, you know, volley of uh, of exchanges between the sides. It's good to have them on there. And I can tell you not many too, not many people like seeing Samu Manoa on the field if you're uh, in the opposition. So his presence starting as opposed to having him on the bench and, you know, letting him try to fester a little bit and then maybe – he was having some trouble finding his way into the game, coming off the bench because the game had already taken shape and had kind of had its narrative and he didn't really know where he fit into that. So starting Samu would be good. And, you know, you keep Billy on the bench. And you know, I talked to uh, Peter Tiberio as well. He's racing the clock to be fit. So that's another interesting one as well to put him on the bench. They went, uh, what'd they go, six and two? They went six and two, yeah. Which I think, which is which is what San Diego did. And I think that I think that we're going to see that again um, uh, um, going into the game. And I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you with San Diego. I think we saw their best team. Um, it was interesting, the impact that Will Holder had. I mean, he basically made two line breaks that led to the final try. Um, but I can't imagine him starting over Tyanosa, who, who was solid, had a couple of timing issues at fullback, but he's not Mikey Teo. And I think one of the challenges that, um, you know, the one thing I would say is if I'm Rob Hoadley is I might think about how I can inject a little bit more pace 
into in into that back three. Like it, it's not that dynamic. I mean, I think that they've got um, you know Duplessis and, and Matthias in the centers. I think it's a, a good um, cent, cent, um, center partnership. I think Duplessis is one of the players of the season for me. Um, he's, he's such a talented player. But I think that, like, you know, how Rob Hoadley manages that back three and whether he wants to kind of put some flyers um, on the outside is is going to be interesting. And I thought Jeff Hassler's really coming into his own, right? So you got to think about, like, shutting down um, Hassler on one side and maybe trying to match up um, some big athletic. I mean, you could even put Vera Malua out on the wing against Brock Stoller and challenge Brock Stoller's defense. Yeah, fascinating looking at these individual stats as well. You talked about JP Duplessis. He's sixth in the league for tackle breaks. Uh, he's up there as well for – hang on, let me just pull this up real quickly. He's up there with offloads. He's had 11 offloads. Every, like every offensive and defensive statistic, breakdown steals, he's, he's second in the league. I mean, he's up there uh, running meters – you know, he's 13th. Here's an, it's, it's, here's an interesting one for you. The two top kickers in the league in Peterson and Seema. There you go. Peterson one, Seema two. Wow, that is interesting. So well, you think with that teams, sun, yeah. dry weather down there, that could be yep. a, a big big part of it as well. Augsburger and JP Smith also in the top 10. So yeah. just to show that both coaching staffs – know how important the territory game is. So it could be a, it could be a real battle here. And uh, I'll, I'll jump forward. I don't have my intro ready. I'm actually not at home while we're doing this. So I don't have my, my, my silly music to play in for my intro. Much I'm sure you're happy to hear that. But let's, let's look at the power matchup the week because that actually leads me into that. Mine is going to be Peterson versus Seema. You know, okay, good. You're going to do Peterson versus Seema. Okay, that's good. What were you doing? Something else? Anyway. Oh, yeah, so to talk about, so, so in the kicking game or in the running game? Every, everything. So we saw the best Ben Seam we've seen, but he's going to have to turn around and now do it on the biggest stage against the best defense. And what I really liked about Ben's game in the weekend was he showed more patience than he's shown in a while, and he finally started to take the line on a little bit with the ball. He saw that try for Jeff Hassler, and it opened up on the inside, and he was very aggressive to sit down that defender that could have – you know, bounce back inside onto Jeff. And I'm like, hey, you've got to do that more often. Even if it don't score a try and it doesn't work, you've got to start asking questions of the defense a little bit more than what he has been. But he looked healthy, he looked happy, and he kicked very well in that first half as well. But now on the other side of the coin, you've got a guy who's been doing that for years and years. And you ask any good ball player, in, they'll tell you it's around – late, late 20s, early 30s, when you finally start to figure out the game. And Ben Seam is nowhere near that. But Joe Peterson is in the twilight. He knows the game. He knows, you know, he knows what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And he can read things well before they happen better than anyone in the league right now. And in a game with limited opportunities, man, I I just, it's hard to put a value on what Joe Peterson is going to bring on Sunday. So I, I, I agree with you. I think it's going to be um, really interesting. A couple of things that I really liked about Ben Seymour as well was how he attacked the line. Like, so when he gave that pass to Jeff Hassler, he was really, like, running with the boys, a tendency to be a bit of a pivot. But what Joe Peterson offers that's a little bit different is his ability to play out wide. So you'll see San Diego building some structures that have Joe Peterson out the back door with forwards running 
that gets him outside that defensive wall. And he had a couple of breaks last week against New York. He, I think he made some poor decisions on those breaks, but you can see he has that little burst, that fullback burst. Remember, he played fullback last year. And I think, you know, he, ha- he has a little bit more than Seema there, but it, it is definitely an interesting, um, you know, one of what it is, it is definitely a key matchup. And um, it's going to be one of those ones that I think is going to be really, um, really interesting. So, my um, power matchup is going to be uh, Ricard Hadding versus um, Jordan Menihara, the two number eights. You know, Menihara, I, I felt, I feel like really took the the, um, the first couple of games by storm, and he settled down into a really, really critical player. And he, and, you know, he doesn't um, sit with um, many of the um, highest. Uh, um, stats because he missed the first few games right and so sort of in total stats you don't make it but i think he's a strong ball carrier um he's a uh, um he's a strong defender and i think as he goes i think he has the ability to bring that back row for him um with him the inexperienced back row he's a maori all black he's played high level high level rugby um you know and i think that he's gonna be uh um a, he's gonna have to be a real real physical presence and I feel the same way about Rickard Hadding. I, I mean, I, I think Hadding is such a talented player, but we don't always see it, right? We don't always see it. But if you give him a little bit of space, he can be super athletic. And I think that, um, you know, they might want to play him a little bit wider as a little bit of a bull, bull player out wide on the edge of the San Diego defense so he can do things. Having that guy run through the middle when you've got other guys that can bash a little bit more isn't the way I would play him. Um, and I think that, how these guys control the ball at the back. I think Manny Harrell is going to be under pressure and I think Hadding's going to need to keep it in. I think that's going to be a real key power matchup. Okay. I like it. I like, I'm going to do something different with you here because it's a big show. We're going to the championship. I want you to tell me which team has the edge in all these categories. I'm going to throw at you, Pete. You ready? Let's start. Okay. Scrum. Who has the advantage and why? Um, Seattle have the advantage. I think they have depth, but I think they're a better unit right now. Line out. Who has the advantage? I mean, I think I, I'm going to give Seattle again an edge here, but it's really, really close. And I think it's just because they've got Brad Tucker, who's one of the best defensive jumpers in the league. Okay. Let's talk about breakdown, both the ability to retain ball and steal ball. You know, I, I, um, I've always, I've, I've said ever since um, Seattle have lost Vili, that in their back row, they don't have enough hunters. Um, Samu Manoa is actually their leading turnover person, and he's only been there for the last three games, but he adds a little bit there. Um, I think, uh, uh, man, that's a real close one. I'm going to call that one a tie. I don't think either of these teams, I mean, I think Glendale's really excellent at the breakdown. Um, I think the, uh, and I, you know, I think they're one of the best teams in the league. I think San Diego's a great counter rucking team. Um, I think that's that's going to be a real challenge for Seattle. Um, but I think Seattle actually can be very physical in clearing out. So I'm going to call it a tie. I'm going to go San Diego on that one. Just on the back of JP Duplessis, one of the best in the league. At getting- I mean, he is like on, on his own. He, he might give him the edge. I'm not I'm not arguing with that one. OK, let's talk about halves now. Nine, ten combination. So I think J.P. Smith what might be one of the most skillful players in the league. I mean, he he has really elite skills. Um, 
Nate Osberger is a different player. Um, Nate's scrum half skills are um, adequate, but they're not great. But he's such a dynamic runner and he's a great defender. Um, I think it's Joe Peterson over Ben Seema. So I think I'm going to go with San Diego on the halfbacks. I'm agreeing with you there as well. All right, X Factor. Who's got the best X Factor in between these sides? I mean, hmm. you mean it's sort of like uh, Seattle's X Factor would be playing at Starfire, right? Ooh. Like that would be their X Factor. It was probably their X Factor in the game last week. Who has the best X Factor? Um you know what? I think San Diego does, and I think it's Paddy Ryan. I think Paddy Ryan has the ability to do some things that other people don't do. Um, uh, Brad Tucker's a great player, but he's not an X-factor. Um, Nakatini and um, Samu Manoa could be an X-factor, but they're really an X-factor on defense only. Um, so I think Paddy Ryan has the ability to be, be an X-factor in the scrum, um, on attack, in the contact. Um, I mean, he threw... I think it was uh, against Nolo. He threw like a double skip pass. I mean, the guy is a really, really talented player. He did not have one of his best games last week, so he needs to bounce back from that. But I think that that's probably his um, San Diego's X factor. All right, last one. And I think this one could actually decide the result in the game. Who has the best goal kicker? Oh, I think it's Joe Peterson. I mean, I think Brock Stoller, when he's on, when he's on doesn't miss. But he's had a couple of games where he hasn't been on. And I can't remember a uh, um, a game where Joe Peterson was off. Like he missed a kick, but not when he's off. And so I think, I mean, I th- think he showed it last week when the chips are down. Um, Joe Peterson's probably the goal kicker that you want to have that kick. On his bad side too. Yeah, I mean, like, and into the wind. So like for, you know, when you're right-footed, and you're kicking into the wind, that's going to push the ball um, with your natural um, curve. And the fact that he got it on that side just tells you what a beautiful strike it was. Just to give the, the, the people at home some little insight to that, if you are kicking into the wind and the wind is going to push your hook, you basically have to have space to kick that ball for Joe Peterson right off the right upright where you would miss and hope you can drive it into the wind hard enough to get it over the crossbar but, you know, not too hard where it doesn't get affected by the wind. So it's it's the most difficult kick and the situation it was in. As a kicker, I sat there and I said, this is exactly the kick that I want as a kicker. And then I also said, hmm, bad side, big pressure. And uh, our producer, Jeremy Mann, said, he'll kick it. He'll kick it. And then right through the middle. There you go, Joe Peterson. Well, Pete... That uh, wraps up the show for another week. There is a Facebook Live event. Uh, I believe it's going to be on Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific. It'll be uh, Brian Hightower and Stacey Pates, who will be part of the CBS crew doing the final on Sunday. So get on there with Brian and Stacey on Facebook Live this Saturday, and uh, they'll dig in a little deeper with probably some coaches and players and interviews as well. Pete, it's been a fantastic year, mate. I'm looking forward to Sunday. Where are you going to watch the game real quickly? I'm going to be at home with my daughter, and uh, um, we'll be watching what she calls her rugby boys and uh, um, enjoying the game. I am really, really looking forward to this one. 
um, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a great game. Um, I, I I think it's gonna be a real highlight. Last week's games, both of the games, I thought were were credit to Major League Rugby. It's credit to the players and the coaches, um, as well as all of the administrators that helped put those events on. There's a great crowd in San Diego. There's a good crowd in uh, in Seattle. Um, and I think another great crowd in San Diego and then on the big network, right, on CBS. So everyone can watch this. You don't have to, like, find a bar that has CBS Sport. You don't have to, you know, have a VPN to get the Facebook Live. Everyone should be able to watch this on CBS and get all of their friends to watch it. Um, I, I, I actually would say, Dan, this is probably a real seminal event in um, American rugby history with the Major League Rugby Final on CBS. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that, Pete. I think we'll look back at this as uh, potentially a turning point for the game here and exciting times for not only, you know, the league, the players, but fans as well. You've now really got this great product you can get behind and support. And, you know, it's still, it's still, the elevators, it's not in the lobby, but it's, you can still get on it if you know what I mean. <laughs> um, for those of you that enjoy this podcast, please go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever or, um, wherever you get your podcasts and um, rate the podcast, leave a review. We always appreciate people leaving the review. That helps other people find us. Um, and we'll be debriefing this next week, right, Dan? That is correct. And real quickly, just want to give a shout out to Scott Green, who has just been announced as the official for the championship. So that'll be the second year in a row for Scott Green. So congratulations to Greeny, one of the top referees in Major League Rugby, and a huge nod for him to get the final two years in a row. Yeah, Pete? I agree. I mean, I think, I think, I think he's uh, it's well deserved. Although, you know, I've seen some concerns about refereeing. Um, you know, on social media, but I, you know, to me, I, I think, I think the level of refereeing has been pretty competent. Um, but I think, uh, Scott brings a tremendous attitude and, uh, I think he's been very consistent throughout the season. There it is for my co-commentator, Pete Steinberg, our producer, Aaron Castro. We will catch you next week when we review the championship game and uh, look back and see just how wrong or right we really were till then guys.